0: Good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Thanks for coming out. Um, it's Sunday. It's our 12th Sunday in the building. Woo-hoo! Yep. I'm just going to keep doing that for years, you know. <laughs> Welcome to 400, uh, 400 episodes. Um, all right. So the picture that you now see behind me is a picture of me. It's 11 or 12 years old. And a group of us from the church here, uh, we, we went to Mexico. We drove all the way El Paso and then across the border uh, to Juarez. And then we drove outside of Juarez into a small village where we built a house uh, for a family that needed a house. And we partnered with this uh, mission organization there called Casas Por Cristo. Anybody? I wasn't expecting that, but there you go. Uh, So we were there working with them. We had done it for years. So it was really uh, my first trip with the church. Actually, I just started working here and we went all the way there. And uh, just so you know, I don't build things that much, um, and so. I, but I was trying. I would bought a tool belt, a hammer, you name it, and was working it as hard as I could, but there was this one moment that I remember quite vividly. I was working. I was hammering things into things so that we could lift the thing to build the wall for the thing and for the family. I, I remember doing this, and this was late in the afternoon, and... I had that feeling that I was the only one working. You ever get that feeling at work? Like, am I the only one doing anything? And I had this feeling that like, I'm the, cause mine was the only hammer that I heard. Uh, I, was the, I was the only one cursing. I was the only one uh, sweating. And sure enough, like I just had that feeling that I'm just the only one doing anything. And so I, I stand up to look around and what I see is most of our team uh, just standing there watching me. <laughs> like all judgy, you know, with their custom tool belts and their work boots and their experience. Uh, we had, our church has always been Georgia Tech heavy, but this whole trip was just tech grads. So they had their degrees, you know, uh, and how to do what we were doing. And they were just all looking at me. And I said, What? And somebody on the team says back, oh, we're just watching. (laughs) And you know what that means, right? That means I had the hammer upside down or something. Oh, we're just watching. You ever have those moments where the snark that dwells deep within you comes out? (laughs) Like it just finds its way out? I think you know what I'm saying. So I said to them, oh, okay. Well, listen, I don't laugh. Uh, I don't laugh at your answers to Bible-related questions. <laughs> and our team leader, Adam Black, such a dear friend, goes like this. Yeah, that's a good point. Everybody back to work. Everybody back to work. You know? Haley, you were there? Okay, yeah. Just so you know, I don't laugh at anyone's Bible answers, uh, I do tweet about them under an alias, though. <laughs> I'll let you find that. So here's my question. Where are you in your own mind when it comes to your knowledge of the Bible? Like if I gave you a 100-question test, how would you do? How would you fare? Would you be in the A range or the B range? Or maybe I'd give you a D+. Plus? Uh, To quote the great Tommy boy, that's not a grade they normally like to give out. The D plus, thank you. How would you do? Like if I gave you a hundred question test on the Bible, where do you think you would land? My son, the penultimate preacher's kid, uh, says, Dad, the answer is always Jesus. Always. And I say that's not true. It could be Jesus or God or Bible or bring a friend. I mean, you know, there's like all these other possible answers that... It could be, so he's not entirely right, but how do you think you would fare? And the larger question, I think, is does it really even matter? Does it matter how much I know about the Bible or if I can navigate it well or if I understand what it's trying to say? So we've given this whole month to talk about these four behaviors of the church, not just ours, but all churches throughout time, throughout history, the history of Christianity, and these four behaviors that the church participates in week after week after week. We come and sing together. We talked about that. You guys did great today, by the way. Uh, We assemble, we meet, we gather. Uh, We talked about that. Next week, we'll talk about why it is that we help others. Why do we serve? Why do we pay attention to people's needs? Church has been doing this forever. But there's this other issue uh, on the table, and it's this issue of learning, of growing in our knowledge of the story of God Uh, that we have in the Bible, particularly the story of Jesus as it relates to the whole Bible. And so I want to talk today or explore and reflect on this idea about learning, why we learn. Why Why is it that we open this book, the Bible that we call it, and hear from it? What is it that you and I should be listening for and learning as we listen? Are there things that we should be unlearning Probably, if you grew up in the South and went to church, I have a list of things you need to unlearn. Um, and so, what is it that we're supposed to do? What are we doing when we read from this ancient text and talk about it and learn from it? That's what I want you to think about as we move through just a couple of things this morning. Uh, just some background for you: the word Christian uh, only appears in the New Testament three times. It's somewhat derogatory. It's a it's a label. It's a thing that was given. Uh, to the people who were followers of Jesus. It's not something they met and said, we need a brand, we need a brand. Uh, What are we gonna put on our handle? We need some kind of name. It was a name that was given to uh, the community and it wasn't universal at the time, but it only appears three times in the New Testament. So it's not the central term. The central term given to those who were followers of Jesus at that time is the word disciple, appearing in the New Testament 260 plus times. This is the term. There were other names, people of the way, the Nazarenes, etc. But disciple rises to the top as the central term to describe the people who called themselves followers of Jesus. The Greek is a beautiful word, the word mathetes. And it has layered meanings to it. It obviously means learner or student. Protégé is a layered definition to it. That there's a sense that I will become what the teacher Is passing on to me, but the word that stands out the most is the word apprentice. Say that, apprentice. That to be a disciple is to be an apprentice. And disciple is, uh, when we hear the word disciple, we think some sort of mindless person who just does whatever the person they admire says to do or to think. But the disciple in the ancient world is this apprentice who's learning a trade. It's not a religious term. It's just what it is. I'm learning something that I might use it, that I might become like this thing that I am learning. And you don't have to be in the presence of someone to be a disciple of that person. Dio Chrysostom talks about Socrates being a disciple of Homer, and we're talking about generations of difference between these people, that you can be a disciple of an idea. You can be a disciple of a person who's been long gone Uh, Thus, it's okay for us to call ourselves disciples of Jesus. And to be a disciple is to apprentice someone. And the heart, and this is key, the heart of any apprenticeship is not the passing down of information alone, but to be changed by what I'm learning so that I can then pass that on to someone else. To be an apprentice is to be changed by the information, not just hearing it, letting it roll off our backs, which may define church for you. Cool, check. We did that. Let's go to lunch. It may just roll off, and that's fine. I have Sundays like that, <laughs> even when I'm preaching. I'll even say, "Well, that was kind of interesting," and then we'll move on to the next week. I'll snap it out of existence and hope that you come back. So, uh, but one verse I want to focus on that uh, from the passage that Haley read earlier, and it's Colossians three, verses just verse sixteen, and this is what Paul writes, and this whole passage that she read, is a window into what it was like to attend these gatherings in the ancient world, particularly the middle of the first century, when Christians, disciples, and followers of Christ were learning how to be the community, the church that Christ called them to be. And we get a window into what it is that was important to them. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, these are some things you need to pay attention to. And so you see all of it in there, singing, you see this part about just making sure that you assemble, Uh, you'll see next week how we serve one another, but in verse 16, uh, this great little verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Say the word dwell. We're going to come back to that. We're just going to sit there through the duration, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So it's very clear in this little riff that Paul is interested in the church being interested in learning the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This word dwell is uh, in the Greek language that Paul uses has a it's a double has a double layer it's it obviously it means to take up residence in but it's with a purpose that from within there is influence let the word of christ live in you let it take up residence but it does so with the purpose of influencing from within that the word of christ is embedded into us so that It can influence us from the inside. So the image here is of Christ moving into our lives. He's a roommate. He's setting up residence in us. He's being housed in us. That we have opened ourselves to his presence. This is key. And you'll see as we move through this that there's a difference between hearing the words of Christ... As we hear each week and here, there's a difference in just hearing the stuff and letting it take up space as a resident in our lives, that we have made room for Jesus in us. Christ's word dwells in us. It lives inside of us. So Paul is not talking about making sure you get all the Sunday school answers right. And if we go back to my 100-question test for you, even if you made a 99, Paul still would ask, great, but is that important? What's more important, that we get all the answers right? But Paul is talking about a difference between answers and application, or another uh, pairing would be uh, information versus transformation. Those are two different things, aren't they? When we hear information, it doesn't always change us. We have to let what we hear move in and take up residence in us. And Paul understands this from experience. Paul himself was a disciple of a man named Gamaliel, who was the grandson of a rabbi named Hillel, who was an across the aisle opponent of a famous rabbi named Shammai. Hillel and Shammai ran the rabbinical world in the days of Jesus. Most of the questions Jesus is asked. In terms of arguments and debate are simply people wanting to know who he sides with, Hillel or Shammai. One's conservative, one's liberal. And so Paul comes from a long line of sitting underneath the teaching of people. And he understands what it means to listen, but also to become like his his teacher, to let the ways of the teacher inform his life, not just get You know, heard, get stage time, get I'm paying attention, but that they are informing my life. It's one thing to know the information, it's another thing to be changed by it. So the word dwell is so good here. It's not let the word of Christ roll off or even pass through you, but let the word of Christ move in, let it settle down, let it be something that you and I abide. This removes Jesus from what I call the inspiration culture of our day. I don't know if you follow people on social medias and medias, the social medias, (laughs) you kids with the social medias and the MySpaces. (laughs) But some people see it as their God-given calling in life to just simply post inspirational quotes, (laughs) I texted a friend of mine the other day. and was like, uh, when you follow someone back on Instagram and all they post is scripture. I don't know what to do, you know. I've seen it. I read that all the time. I don't need to see it in my feed, you know. Nothing against the Bible, but it's like, wow. Show me a picture of your dog or something with a verse attached to it, you know. But we live in an age of inspiration culture where it's just one one quote, one meme, one thing to just get you through the moment. Oh, that's a good quote. You're not going to remember that. It feels good at the moment, and it makes sense, or it it resonates, but it's it's just a fleeting inspiration. And we've made Jesus that, too. When they added verse numbers to the Bible, it became a reference book. It didn't originally come to us in that form. It was really just a haphazardly packed box of letters. But to help us find things, chapter numbers and verse numbers became a thing, and it became a reference book. And we began to separate verses from context. We began to find three or four words or a line or something that we really enjoy, and that really gets me through the day, until it doesn't. And and when it's just just shots of inspiration, it doesn't sit, it doesn't move in, it doesn't settle, it doesn't abide because it trains us to listen for the next one. But dwelling is not a short-term venture. It's a slow, deliberate journey of building a life together. I mean, you know what it was like to have your roommate move in, your first roommate, first person you moved in with that went well, didn't it? No, it did not go well. It's two lives coming together. It sounds good. We matched up on the app, but there's still the way that they do the toothpaste that drives me through the roof, or there's still the ways that we bother each other. As you know, many of you know that I am uh, uh, a music fan of annoying proportions uh, at an annoying level. And this week, of course, is the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, so That's always been my dream to ask God to send me back in time so I could see Joe Cocker uh, play that. But I was always afraid that I had a dream once that I was at Woodstock and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best dream of my life. But the dream was actually quite stressful because I was just mostly worried that they would see my phone, my cell phone. Uh, It's a whole back to the future thing. I I could ruin existence if they saw that I was videoing Joe Cocker. What is that strange box? Um, so, I've been glued to all the uh, documentaries and, you know, footage, and it's all, and this I already knew about, but, you know, it's a three-day three festival rolled into a fourth because of the weather, but day one, it's just beautiful. It's 500,000 people who have had showers And they're clean. They got their backpacks, and they're just eating sandwiches. And it's a music festival. It's just you know everything is working as it should. But by day three, it's like complete pandemonium because it's muddy. People are dirty. Uh, They're freaking out from bad acid. It every but that there's no place to you know there's there's so many people they just had to live on the ground together. This great announcement like day two where the MC says, listen, I think it's just safe, safer if you just bed down right where you're at for the night. Don't go and try and find your tent. Don't leave. So people just, you know, and that's really what it's like. When someone moves into your life, it's nice and clean, and we have the photos to show it at the beginning, but then it becomes this learning how to live side by side. It becomes messy. And so when we talk about, just back to what we're doing here, when we talk about the Word of Christ moving into us, It's a process. It's a slow and deliberate journey of becoming roommates, of building a life together. And that isn't always clean. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes we get dirty. And the teaching and the person of Christ aren't just things that we hear and know about, but things that we allow into our lives. And specifically into the corners of our souls that need it most. So part of learning, why we learn, part of opening this book and hearing from it is a way of making more room in our lives for the words and the ways and its wisdom that we might not just hear it or even know it, but that we might be changed because of it. And I can promise you that will not happen unless the word of Christ lives in us, that it dwells in us. Frustrated with your faith, like it's not going anywhere? Maybe it's rolling off. Maybe there needs to be a part that you play and that I play where we allow that to sit with us. Here's a simple statement about um, what our church aims for, and it's simply this, to be a people growing in the ways of Jesus. That's what a disciple of Jesus is, to be a people growing in the ways of Jesus. We learn what we can from the life and the teachings of Jesus in hopes that we might start to look like him, to sound like him, and to behave like him in the world. The late Dallas Willard says it this way, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I, I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. What he's talking about is having a Christ animated life. That I am animated by the word of Christ that lives in me. That Jesus is not just savior, but he's also template. He's a model. We learn what it means from Jesus to be human, that Christ is a model for us to pattern our life and our faith after. And so we learn so that we might listen for the ways to live this out in our daily lives. So just think about it this way as we close. When you hear something from me or when you're reading something in the Bible or you're listening to a sermon online or whatever it is that you do that we're in the settings in which you hear the scriptures. Are you in a place where you can allow that in? I need to let that sit for a while so that it might influence and animate my life and the worlds that I inhabit. We all have families. We all have relationships. We all have a workspace. We all have a neighborhood. How does what I've just heard that is motivating to me, it's inspirational to me, it's challenging to me. How, how does any of that find its way into all the relational spheres that I have? There's a pressure to read the Bible to get it done, to pick it up and to move through it successfully and learn a lot along the way. It's like the read the Bible in a year plan, you know you've probably tried that. I'm not going to knock you, but let me just knock you for a second. Those are really hard to do. Those are very difficult to do. You're just running through the stories. Most people crash and burn at Leviticus, but that's another story. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. I'm out, I'm out. I don't know what this means, you know? So it's it's different. Paul is saying this is different than just getting through the text. But the key to learning the Bible, and this is where we'll close today, It's not just reading it, because we can do that all day. But the ancients talk about, let the scriptures also read us. That's a different posture. Let the text also read me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Famous verse. If I'm only reading that, I can make assumptions about that. But what is it like when I allow that to read me? Do I love the world? Would I give my life for that? It's a small example. Do you understand what I'm saying? The ancients understood that we read the text in two ways. We read it for what it says, but then we allow what it says to read me, to read my heart, to read my motivations, to read my soul. And so it's in that setting that we learn what it means to live it out. That's why Paul says at the end of this text, admonish and teaching one another in all wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is living out what we know. Wisdom is a changed life based on the information that has transformed us. Wisdom is we finally learning, you know? Knows a lot, but he's not doing anything with it. He's not a wise person, but a wise person is changed by what he knows. So in closing, let me just say this and I want to read uh, a text for you as the band comes up. Um, If you get our newsletter during the week, I'm going to provide you with a, uh, in tomorrow's email, uh, provide you with an ancient discipline for reading the scripture in a way that it reads you. Uh, This is a practice that I personally do. Uh, I recommend doing it. Uh, we've put it in the app as well under a little link called Devotions, and it's just there for you. And it's this text, it's this Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and it's something I want you to do if you're, if you're into it every day, sorry, every day this week, so that you can just experience what it's like, not just to read something, but to allow it to get in you and to sit with it, to welcome it as a resident in your life so watch for that or dig through the app and find that and, and just follow that simple plan. It's an ancient, ancient practice called Lectio Divina. And it means sacred listening, that it's not just reading, but sacred reading and listening to the text. In Philippians chapter 3, and I'll close with this and we'll sit in reflection for a few moments. Uh, Paul writes about his own relationship with Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And we have verses 10 and 11 for you to see as we get there. But this is a a great passage. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That was an up-and-coming band at the time. Uh, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. It's a rather humble resume, isn't it? But notice what he says next. But whatever whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then in verses 10 and 11, he writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead.